Good morning, Creekside. Good morning. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm on staff here, and it is good to be with you today. We're going through uh, a series uh, we've titled The Songs of Christmas, and I say air quotes because they're not, uh, some of these aren't actually songs. No one was singing, uh, but they are poetry, prophecy, and we are in the third uh, message, uh, this, the third week of Advent, and we are in the fields with angels and shepherds this morning. And if you'll recall, I mean, I'm not up here very often for good, for good reason. Um, and, and earlier, we were studying in Psalm 23 over the summer, and I was tasked with introducing the Lord as our shepherd. So this led me to conclude that I'm only to be trusted with sheep and shepherds, apparently. So I'm becoming an expert in shepherd, shepherdry, if that's the technical term for it. Um, but let's, let's turn to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 2 um, before we actually read uh, that passage. I just want to give a bit of background context. Uh, Andrew did a really nice job previous with Zechariah's text talking about where we are in the world and even just the biblical narrative leading up to this point. We're, we're in just the beginning, just before about 3 B.C. or so. And the, the Israel are, find themselves in a common place. Uh, they're used, to, uh, over the last you know, thousand years or so, they've been conquered and taken into exile and, and various persecutions of many kinds. And, and this is, again, they're finding themselves under Roman occupation. We're in Bethlehem because Joseph and Mary, Joseph is from Bethlehem. We'll discover uh, the significance of that in a moment. Um, but even up to this point, this Bethlehem was the city of David. Uh, David was one, is arguably the most famous king, um, but it is an incredibly unlikely place for a king to be. David, and according to her human terms, had no right to be the king. He was from an insignificant place and, and of small stature. To have a king come from Bethlehem would be like a king coming from Amity. Sorry, Amity. <laughs> Like the tiniest town. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I, I had to go there. No. <laughs> uh, maybe Gaston. Maybe Gaston said like that. Just a, okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so yeah, David, this tiny, tiny town. They're like, who, who is this, this king coming from Bethlehem? And and again, again, we're we're, but but there's so it's insignificant, but there's significance to it. God God has been working in Bethlehem. God worked great things through David, arguably, you know, the man after God's own heart. And so we'll see again today the insignificance and significance of Bethlehem. Um, Roman rule brought Joseph back uh, to be counted. There's a census going on, and basically. This is just another way for Rome to extract and to oppress and, um, and, and have its dominion over the people of Israel in this time and place. So we're not in a happy time. We're in a time that is full of struggle and tension, and it's been a time of silence. Uh, we haven't, in this time, we haven't heard from God. The people of Israel had not heard from God in hundreds of years. Um, and that's unusual. We see the prophets throughout the Old Testament calling God's people back to him. And now it's radio silence. And so it just furthers the, the hopelessness and desperation that God's people are probably feeling. 
So let me give you, since I'm such an expert on shepherds, let me just remind us uh, who are shepherds. That they're not, this is not a glamorous role. This is not a prestigious role. These are just normal people, um, not glorious in and of themselves. Their, their role is important, but um, the point here, I think, is that this message comes to ordinary people. Um, this isn't a grant. We're not in front of kings and princes and marching down the road. This is to common folk. However, um, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, shepherds appear all the time. We talk about this metaphor in Psalm 23. We see people like Moses and David, common people, shepherds, and God calls them these common people, insignificant, simple, and he works in, the, in humble means uh, through shepherds. The other character of the story are angels. And, uh, and I just want to thank Yehuda for already pointing out we have a lot of misconceptions on what an angel is. And I think uh, we too often we'll f- we think of that hallmark vision, uh, man in a bathrobe uh, with curly blonde hair and holding a, a golden harp, apparently. Um, and that is far from the imagery that we see in Scripture. It's much more like a warrior that elicits great fear in whoever sees them. We don't even really know if they look like humans at all. So picture more intimidation, um, scary warrior than a man in a bathrobe. Uh, you can't help but laugh at that imagery. Okay, I think we know, I think we know what we need. Let's, let's dive into the scripture. Would you stand with me uh, out of respect for God's word as we read in uh, Luke 2? beginning in chapter 8. And I'll just read up until the angel's song. We're going to continue um, with the rest a little bit later. So we'll read up until 14. This is the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you be with me uh, as I attempt, uh, however imperfectly, to just display what you want us to hear this morning through your scriptures. I have, uh, I confess I feel meager and weak at the task, and I, but I know that your spirit is great. Uh, Spirit, would you work through me to communicate effectively and give us hope in this season? We trust you to accomplish this. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so right off the bat, we're in, we're in the fields. It's nighttime. When I was growing up, I always, I don't know why I had this vision of, of all the shepherds are somehow just completely failing their jobs. They're like asleep, and, uh, and then angels end up waking them up. Um, and that's, that's not true. I think um, 
as, as I studied this text, I felt ashamed to kind of think that. I think it's better to assume that these shepherds are probably doing their jobs. Uh, they're probably pretty capable men. And again, shepherds are, are very trained to handle any threat that would come their way, whether that be bears or lions or thieves. They're probably extremely strong, fit, and it's a big task. Like the sheep are their livelihood, so they're fighting for their lives. Um, these aren't pathetic men. And so, of course, when an angel of the Lord appears to them, they're not easily scared. They're used to threats. But this is something to fear. And you, we see that, that they're filled with great fear. But the angel, it's not just the angel that, that's with them. This is unlike what happened with Joseph, with Mary, with Zechariah, all visited by angels, all terrified. There's something else. You'll, you'll notice an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. It's the glory of the Lord, I think, that really makes this fear great. And this is what you see. You see, this is the Shekinah glory. This is the presence of God. And, and we're, we're familiar with this story, and I, I think I missed this when I first, when I, when I, growing up reading this story, but th- we should be asking, what in the world is God's presence doing in a field outside of Bethlehem? Just briefly consider God's presence dwelt among people in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world, and God's presence left. And then all throughout the, the covenant of God's people, his presence became known as in the temple, a sacred presence, and that's where God's presence dwelled. So to have God's presence outside of the temple is pretty unusual. This is a significant moment, and the, shep- and the shepherds are just blown away by it. Um, we can't miss this fact. God is here with the angels in his, all of his glory and majesty. And that brings us to think, consider another thing. Think of Isaiah's encounter with the holiness of God when we experience the, the person of God, all of our little lies we tell about ourselves, all of our, the ways that we think highly of ourselves are shattered. We see ourselves for who we really are in the face of a glorious and magnificent God. So we have to assume the shepherds are undone, just like Isaiah. But let's listen. It's really interesting, the first thing that is said to them, fear not. You have this, this contrast, you think, oh no, the worst is here. I'm filled with this great fear, this awe. God sees me for who I really am. This is going to go badly for me. And the first words out of the angel's mouth are fear not. And you see this time and time again when God encounters people. People are undone and, and afraid and ashamed, but God lifts our heads. There's mercy just right away, and they're able to hear the message. And this tells us that God, in all of his glory and power, has every right uh, to, to wage war against us, you know, bringing this warrior in front of us, but instead he extends our hand, and you see mercy. You see this deep desire for God to interact with his people time and time again, and he wants to interact with these shepherds. So what does he say? What do the shepherds say next? For behold, pay attention, all capital letters, 
I bring you good news of great joy. This is the gospel, the good news, and it elicits great joy every time it comes. Hold that. I want to go. I want to unpack that, but let's just continue. So just hold that, that moment. We'll come back to that in just a second. Um, this good news will be for all the people. So this is not just for these shepherds. This is for everyone. Big audience, tons of people. This is great news for lots, a huge multitude of people. And then the next, for unto you. It's this beautiful contrast of you, Bethlehem, you, shepherds. God, God's kingdom is coming for a lot of people, but also for us, for these people. And it's happening right now in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago in the city of David, which begs for some background. So let's just pause. If you turn, um, the, this words will be on the screen, but if you want to, turn to Micah 5.2 and just keep your thumb in Luke. And let's just look back briefly at Micah 5, starting in verse 2. This will give us some context on why Bethlehem is significant, city of David, and just unpack God's story, kind of laying the pipe for the history of this moment. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that means the clan of David. So think of like his, his street that he lived on. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And we'll stop there. I'm going to come back to Micah, so don't lose that place. So Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. Uh, he lived around 700 BC, just before the Assyrian captivity. So another time when Assyria is starting to invade and it's just feeling terrifying. And this is just one, one of the many prophecies. I mean, I could have gone to so many that foretold of this moment. Um, but the prophets were calling God's people, accounting for their sins, their need for a savior, but also foreshadowing the solution, the Messiah. This is a, this, the entire, all of God's people are looking for, desperately looking forward to the Messiah, uh, to the king who's going to save us. And, and again, just, I mean, I know I've said it before, but it can't be overstated. This is the weirdest place for a savior to come. It is too little to even be considered among the clans of Israel. And then there's this amazing statement that, will, that really lands the truth of the gospel, coming forth from old, from ancient days. I think there's a lot of meanings that this could, could bring into our minds, um, but this is, not, this is not a new plan. This has been, this has been the, the, the plan, the only plan from the beginning, from before creation was even uttered. And it's been talked about through Abraham, through Joshua, through Moses, through, I had that order wrong, Abraham, then Moses, and Joshua. Um, everyone has been talking about this message. For thousands of years, everyone has been talking about this message. And right now, right now in this time and place, in Bethlehem, to shepherds, in the most unlikely place, God is fulfilling his promise. 
That's why this is good news. And that's why it's great joy. We, again, like we're back in Eden. Everything is right. God is dwelling with his creation and everything goes so terribly wrong. And everything that we've read in the scripture up until this point, the vast majority of it has been talking about the Messiah who's coming. And he's coming today. And the shepherds have no idea what's going on. And I think if we're to be honest, we would miss it too. Um, City of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And what's interesting, um, what's really interesting is this, this next part that this will be a sign for you. And again, up to, up to this point, any, any sort of sign from God would have been, you know, fire coming down from heaven or waters parting or plagues coming, like this great miraculous encounter with God that would, you wouldn't be able to explain at all. Uh, I, I even think of the, all the time we've been spending in John, any sign of Jesus would have been this miraculous healing or this... Uh, just unexplainable act of God. But this sign, again, this is curious, the sign for you is a baby. It's nothing terribly impressive. Uh, And it's not just a baby. We're also reminded that it's wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's helpless like the other babies. It's not a particularly impressive baby. It is helpless. And it's it's not, it's not even, it's, it's lying in a manger. It's lying where animals feed from. So it's a poor, helpless baby. Again, <laughs> just, just, just kind of re- re- reminding ourselves of this, the humility of this place. We're in an insignificant town, the smallest town, where the entire hope of the world up to this point is, is being delivered to a bunch of nobodies in a field, and then the sign is a baby in a feeding trough. And I say that because I, I think many of you are like me who have heard this story a thousand times, um, and, it's, and we all know that Christ came in humility. But what is that humility saying? What does that mean for us today? I'm not going to answer that right now. You can just think about that. Let's move on to to what the angels ended up declaring. So we've laid the foundation. We know where we are in history at this point. And now it makes a lot of sense what the angels sing. Um, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. This summarizes the entire biblical narrative when you think about it. Before we get to the peace part, just thinking, just thinking about the glory, the angels sing 
glory to God in the highest. Basically, all credit, all credit is to God for what he's doing, what he's about to do in this baby. Um, this is saluting their king, praising him um, who is in heaven and on earth. So contrasting praise and glory to God in the heavenly hosts and on earth, peace. This is not deserved peace. This is undeserved peace. This is the mercy of God and peace because we, again, God's presence Man is in tension and unreconciled to God and in desperate need for peace and salvation. And now there's peace on earth because of this baby. And at this point, we have no, there's no, there's no recognition. We're on the, right, we're on the other side of this. We, we see, we know what happens to this baby. We know how he reconciles the world. But all that they know is that this baby is, is bringing peace and we don't know what these shepherds know. We'll, we'll see how they deliver this message and we get the fullness of it. But, I mean, we could, let's just assume, like, they probably heard a lot of these stories. They're probably saying, what in the world? Angels are coming. God's presence is coming. And city of David, Christ the Lord, like, this is it. I think it's probably fair to assume that they're like, this is it. This is the Messiah. And then there are probably there's all sorts of questions because they were expecting a king to be riding in on a white horse, not in a manger. But this is, this is peace, shalom. This is the solution, bringing us back to God, God dwelling with men again. And then there's a statement, with whom he is pleased. He shows favor to us. And this is, this is interesting. This is um, this statement is curious because we would, why, why, would, why would man be pleasing to God? Why, why is God pleased with, with us? And we see, again, we see throughout the biblical narrative that God has favor on his people. Undeserved favor, mercy. And even thinking, if you look back a page during Mary's song, uh, this is Luke 1.50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The, 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 the pleasing, the God is ple- not pleased because of anything that we do. He's pleased for people who are undeserving, and he calls them, and those who fear him get to benefit from God's goodness. But ultimately, I can't help but think about God's, God being pleased by the work that Christ accomplishes on our behalf. I mean, even just if you flip over a page, we won't go there, but when, when Jesus is about to be baptized by John the Baptist, ironically, who was just born six months before this moment, he... God says, this is my son with whom I am pleased. And, and the only way that we were able to become in God's favor ultimately was the work and death of the, uh, the work that Jesus accomplished on the death uh, and burial and his resurrection. Now God sees his son as being 
pleased and now pleased with us. I don't, I mean, that's, this is surely the, the culmination. This is the conclusion of why this, why there will be peace on earth. We know the full story. At this point, they, they, have, no, they have no idea what's going to come, but we do. So I thought it was worth calling our attention to that. So let's see what happens now that we have, um, now that we have this song that has come forward. What do the shepherds do with this? So we'll continue. Let me just read. I'll finish the, this section here. When the angels went away from them into heaven, and the, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. Again, that, that infectious joy causing them to be thrilled, excited. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So a couple of things. We see, we see great excitement. We see, we see the effects of the good news and what they have on the disciples. We see them running with haste. And, and they say, let us go. I mean, they could have just sat out there, there in the fields. Like, and there was, there was no really declaration from the angels, like, you need to go share this news. So they take it upon themselves to, like, we got to tell somebody this. This is, we can't keep this to ourselves. We, we got to let everyone know what's going on. And I can't help but think, um, do, we, do we have the same excitement? It's, it's not really a fair comparison. But uh, <laughs> we weren't blown away by the Shekinah glory and the angels singing and all this stuff. Um, but it's worth considering. We, this doesn't make the message any more profound. And this, the message applies to us just as much as it applies to the shepherds and the angels. Are we running around shouting this story? Um, and what does it look like in our context? Uh, it'd be a little bit different, I know. It's not fair to compare. But what does it look like in your context to be excited about this message, the ultimate message, the truth of the gospel, the fact that there is peace on earth, there can be peace on earth through the, through the work of Christ accomplished on the cross. How do you share that message? I mean, I'm struggling right along with you. I'm not giving answers. I'm just giving questions. But I think that's helpful, right? We need to be pressing this story. We need to be talking about this story. Uh, I, I've even seen the impacts of, of being steeped in this story for close to a month now and uh, and we should be strongly considering how do we get this hope out how do we how do we tell the story and it's interesting there's there's you can kind of break this into points I don't have them on the screen for you or anything but there's there's sort of three responses that you see to this good news that happens in Bethlehem 
And they're basically, all who heard it, they wondered, which is basically like, hmm, this is interesting. We don't really know where that goes from just wondering, maybe questioning, challenging. Maybe that goes to belief. We don't know. But the conjunction, but Mary, probably tells us that they didn't fully believe it because Mary treasured up these things and, they, and she pondered them in her heart. So she, she took that as belief and, and it was a treasure to her, which is what our hope would be, right? That we treasure this news. So again, you have this pondering, probably questioning, doubting. And I think, and the, the third response would be, you know, the shepherds running around glorifying and praising God. I think we probably could identify with each one of these, right? Um, if you're here and you don't, you're not sure about this, Jesus, this is a pretty crazy story. You guys really believe this? Like, that's, the, that's an okay place to be. This is the perfect context to be wrestling with those places. I think we'll find in a moment that believing that these things actually happened is the greatest source of hope and joy and truth. But we all have our doubts. We have places, we have times where we are wondering and questioning, and I think that that is, that is good and right if you're doing it in the context and if you're truly seeking after God. And Mary, she treasured it, which is a beautiful phrase, and she pondered them in her heart. And I think that, again, that, that should be our goal. What, what, what would it look like? I mean, perhaps even before sharing the news is to treasure it and, and, and ponder it and wrestle with it. And once you understand the story and have, and have come to the place of deep affection and joy because of the story, that'll make the sharing all the more easy. And then there's this third response glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as had been told to them. We are, we are designed as, as worshipers. I think that, that phrase kind of encapsulates what worship is, to behold something truly great, and you can't help but talk about it and exclaim it and make it great. This whole idea of God's glory is, is woven throughout this whole scripture. His very presence is glorious. The angels are singing glory, and we are to join in that song. And I think that's, again, like you see it. And Christmas time is a great time to remember God's glory and the songs and the richness of those texts. But obviously, it's more than just singing. I think that's why this wasn't a song. Worship isn't just a song. It's, it's something we live out with our lives, We're truly beholding and proclaiming God's glory. So I asked us earlier, like, do we love this story? Like, what do we do with this story? What do you do with this story? I think it's worth asking. It, is the gospel really good news of great joy for you? And I don't ask that in a, in a shaming way. I think we really should consider, is this good news? Is this good news for me right now? And why? Or, if it doesn't feel like good news, then why doesn't it feel like good news? Is the person of Jesus and the fact that he's coming for you again good news of great joy? I think 
there's a there's a, I mean there's a couple there's lots of different ways we could to apply this. I think there's a lot that is very similar to I think we th we feel like this is old news that that we're not really that needy that we're not in a place like God's come like we have all the hope in the world like why and those things are absolutely true like we are on the other side we're in the already but not yet we've already experienced profound grace and mercy we've been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ but we're not there yet there isn't ultimate peace on earth which I think there's why it's okay to live in the tension it's why it's okay to be wrestling with is this good news for me right now? The story, the good news of the gospel, if it's cherished, I think it becomes that endurable sense of joy, that deep abiding joy that is, in, that is durable. I'm, I'm paraphrasing Steve's definition of it from a previous sermon, but the durable delight in the goodness of God. Um, it reminds me of, uh, I was... I was just like putting the finishing touches on this and just studying it and staring at a, a fire that I'd built poorly, which just wasn't lighting at all. It's like, <laughs> um, but the, I have this mix of this really, really dry, dry, dry wood. And it's great because it just lights the fire like in a second, um, but it's also gone in just a second. And I've been like scouring around the Willamette Valley. I think I've even talked to several of you about like finding like I need some good hardwood so I don't have to keep putting wood on this fire like over and over and over again all night long. I'm just stuck in wood, like this kindling that just lights in a second. And man, when you put a oak log on that fire, it just burns so much more beautiful and long. And I can sit back and relax. And it's a it's an imperfect metaphor, but that remi it reminded me of this joy, this joy that burns. And it doesn't go out in a moment, and it endures, and it lasts. So if you have a wood-burning fireplace, uh, and you're staring into the fire like I often do, think of joy, joy like that. And if you need a, an oak source, just talk to me after church. <laughs> I think this is a season of remembering. I know it was for me. I know I've gone through seasons, and you know, even in this busy season, it's really easy to forget our joy, forget why this story matters, and what does it mean for us in our lives today. This isn't something you just believe once. The truth of the gospel isn't just something you believe once and then go on to more important things like systematic theology and whatever else you need to know. Those are all good things. This is about discovering who God is, but the truth, the simplicity of the story, the simplicity and profoundness of the fact that a baby came to this earth in a humble form and what that baby accomplished through the work of, of Jesus or what that baby accomplished is Jesus. So I think we remember. I think that's a lot of, a lot of what, was, what, what it, this season is. This season isn't about all of our holiday traditions and um, this, is, this season isn't about just um, reading this story for nostalgia's sake. This is about remembering that this is for us and that this changes everything for us. And we're in a season of waiting. We are. We're waiting for the king to return. We're waiting for all things to be made right. We can connect deeply with the people of God in this moment in history. 
Just like during that time, God is moving when it doesn't feel like it. When it feels like nothing is happening, when it feels like silence, God is working. He does incredibly small, incredible work with incredibly small and insignificant people like you and me. And we matter to this story, not because of anything that we bring to the table, uh, but just like the shepherds, God is working through us and is using us to accomplish his work. He could, of course, do it in a glorious way, but he's chosen to do it through us, through simple means. And it is glorious in its own way. The shepherds did nothing to receive their message, just like you and I have done nothing to receive this message. Yet they, these shepherds, were entrusted with bringing the, the news of Christ, the first people to share the news with people. You know, the reality is that Jesus left glory to come to us. And our response um, should be the treasure of this story. So Yehuda, why don't you come up to close us? Um, and as he comes up, again, I just want to encourage us um, to truly ponder this message. Um, and don't just, if you, if, if you, if hopefully, like, like I felt this week, the spirit of conviction, to really treasure this. this. If the spirit of God is speaking and you don't feel like you're treasuring it and you're feeling guilt and shame, that's probably not the spirit. Um, that's probably the voice of the enemy trying to condemn you. So I'd encourage you to reject the temptation to feel shame. And instead, convictions would sound like, I need to talk about this to somebody. I need to share the fact that I'm feeling a little stale. And, the, and that's why the church and God's means for reconciliation and redeeming God's people now, right now, is that we share where we are with people around us. And we pray and we cry out to God and say, God, help me to remember the truth that, that this story brings. And, um, and I know he's faithful. So, Yehuda, why don't you close us, and then and I'll close us in prayer.